You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the B&H app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. For weeks, we've been teasing you about how we're commemorating our 100th episode by giving away a couple of Canon DSLR kits. Well, later in today's show, we're actually going to spill the beans and give you the details about what you have to do to enter to win one of these two Canon camera and lens combos we're going to be giving away courtesy of Canon USA. Hint, if you want a chance to win one of these camera systems, you have to subscribe to our show. Not a subscriber yet? Head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or other podcast app and sign up. It is free. We're going to be getting into the details of how to enter the Canon sweepstakes and maybe win one of these cameras at the end of today's show. But first, we're going to do a special Canon-oriented B&H gear cast. To help us along via Skype is none other than veteran Canon product specialist Rudy Winston, who will be telling us all about the Canon 5D Mark IV and Canon EOS 80D that we're giving away, each one with a 50mm f1.8 STM lens. I guess you uh, mm-hmm. gave it away. Oh, heck, we'll have to cut that out. If you heard that, just <laughs> ignore it. Just, that was just me babbling. Okay. We also plan on talking about Canon's newest lenses, accessories, and maybe even a few teasers about what Canon has in store for us in 2018. Welcome, Rudy. Good to speak to you. Oh, the pleasure's mine. Great to be with you, folks. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to be with you, especially in this weather we're having here. In case you don't know, we're recording an old <laughs> snowstorm here. It's great. Anyway, uh, Canon obviously is, is one of the leaders of the industry and has been for a long time. And your cameras are, are really terrific uh, on a whole bunch of levels in each of the categories. And your lenses are, you know, second to none. My starting question is just a global kind of a thing. We're going to talk about the two cameras we're going to be giving away in a bit. But I have a question. We now have cameras with 50 plus megapixels they can capture 10 to 20 frames a second 4k video iso sensitivities that five even six figures where are we going from here what's the next frontier that's an interesting question and i'm sure it's one that our product planners are burning proverbial midnight oil in japan trying to you know make their best guess as to you know short term and you know certainly longer term where do we go from here as an industry and certainly, you know, within Canon? Um, they certainly haven't given any of their thoughts to me. So the only thing I can do is just give you some, you know, speculation. And really, that's all it is. Uh, but so certainly, we're, we're going to hold oh, you to it, by the way. <laughs> okay. <that's>, uh, <laughs> what, what would you like to see? Yeah, uh, what would you like to see? What's your wish list? Well, it, seriously, um, I think that. You know, refinement of systems like autofocus is something that, you know, is never going to end. I think we're always going to be seeking to get better and better in those areas. We've seen the advent of things like face detection and so on, not just in Canon, but in the industry, uh, which really have, you know, taken it to another level. And I'm sure the industry is not going to stop there. I think compact size and weight is certainly something that many, not all, but many customers uh, looking to get into the kind of advanced camera category are looking for. And certainly, and we've taught you and I have talked about this before, I think increasingly easy ways to be able to electronically share images, not just simply to take them and take high quality, excellent images that are sitting on a memory card in the camera, 
but to be able to quickly and seamlessly uh, be able to move them to your friends and so on. We live in an increasingly uh, instant gratification, electronic world, and I don't mean that in a cynical way. Uh, but I think camera manufacturers are going to have to continue to raise the bar to uh, meet the needs of many of our customers. Yes, I've actually thought about that myself. It's it's so easy right now to take a picture with one's phone, and we're, we all do it. And then within 15 seconds, you could you could share it with the planet. You could edit it very quickly. It's all very quick. Yet with the best cameras we have, it's still a process that involves a lot more time and effort. So I was exactly. kind of wondering and when I, we'd I, be getting to that. Exactly. I, I can't uh, you know put my finger on exactly what the next steps are and where we're going to be you know six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, whatever. But there's no question that the goal has to be, uh, at least in my mind, uh, almost duplicating the ease of using your phone with, you know, what you and I would consider a, quote, real camera, end quote. I don't mean that in a damning way. No, 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 uh, get there's that. No yeah. question yeah. that there's, there's no question an interchangeable lens camera can be expected in almost all regards to take a better picture than, you know, even the best of today's smartphones. And uh, while smartphones are going to continue to advance and get better, no question, uh, we expect the same from interchangeable lens cameras. And But where they really need to improve is that seamless experience uh, where it's not a bunch of steps, where I can just take the picture with, you know, my 5D Mark IV or equivalent and, you know, just be able to almost instantly have it, uh, you know, appear on my phone or be able to send it immediately to uh, a social media site or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, one thing I'm kind of wondering about is um, Canon, uh, the Rebels, for instance, are tiny DSLRs. And there are a number of very, very small, compact APS-C and even a couple of full-frame DSLRs that are kind of small and, and, and relatively lightweight, especially when comparing them to the mirrorless cameras, which have, are even smaller and lighter than the DSLRs. Yet if you look at the flagship cameras from Canon, Nikon, and, and everybody else pretty much, the few that are left, um, they're big, bulky monsters. Is there anything being done to address that? I, I understand that the technology that goes into them and, and the materials that you are required to build the camera that could take a lot of abuse obviously have mass and weight. But I often look at like some of the flagship cameras and I go, those are just too big. Is that something that's being addressed at all? I got to believe that it is. Again, I'm speculating because I don't have my finger on the pulse of everything that goes on in the planning stages in Japan, uh, you know, whether it's for us or competitive companies, certainly. But certainly, I think they realize that, you know, more and more in the eyes of most serious enthusiasts, the classic, traditional, in air quotes, professional DSLR uh, you know, in Canon's case, the EOS 1DX Mark II now, uh, but that whole legacy of 1D series cameras, I think they're realizing that it, they are becoming an increasingly specialized and, you know, kind of narrowly focused tool in the marketplace that still work well in the hands of professional sports photographers and certain other applications. But the size and weight, I think, are becoming increasingly off-putting to many of our customers uh, that are looking for a high-end photo experience. Now, what does that mean in terms of future product? That's anybody's guess. Mm. Can I ask a little question about uh, 
something you've you've spoken out in the past, which is I guess the relationship between Canon Japan and Canon USA. Are you guys? Are you just kind of like us, waiting for the next piece of news? Obviously, you get it before we do, but is it that kind of situation where it comes down to you guys only when the product is done and ready for uh, for market? In the case of Canon, I'm certainly not speaking for any other company here. Of course, yeah. But in the case of Canon, our company's primary corporate headquarters and certainly where the vast majority of camera-related research and development takes place is in Japan at, the, at and near the company headquarters in Tokyo. And what has changed over the years is that Japan has become increasingly interested in hearing feedback from us, from our professional customers, from our amateur customers, our serious enthusiasts, and even the casual amateur customer. They're increasingly interested in hearing what does that customer want, plus, you know, our own impressions of, you know, where we are now and where we're, where we may be going. They seem to have a very, very keen ear turned toward us. So there is a tight relationship there. But in terms of once they put pen to paper and start actually making decisions about where to go with the next Rebel, the next ADD class camera, the next 5D class camera, or whatever, once they get into that phase, they don't tell us, okay, you know, we're, we're going in this direction. Uh, the, next, uh, the next Rebel is going to be, you know, even smaller and lighter, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. uh, they, at that point, they pretty much kind of close the windows, close the doors, and work, you know, feverishly to get the product into production on their predefined schedule. In terms of what information do we get on it, we don't really hear about it and get details on them in any way, shape, or form until shortly before they are publicly announced. So it's not like as though a, a year ahead of time, two years ahead of time, we kind of know where they're going. But again, there is a, a synergy between us and Japan uh, in terms of they want to hear what's the response to our current products, what do customers want? And I think, you know, for any any manufacturer, I don't care if you're making cars or, you know, uh, cell phones or anything else, you really, you want to anticipate what customers are going to want, but you want to listen to what they want now relative to what's currently on the market. And they've been good at that. You, you bring up an interesting topic. You mentioned the fact that uh, it's not only cameras, uh, but it could be cars. And I know that uh, Japanese uh, automobile manufacturers some years ago started to open up design centers here in the States because they found that the needs of American drivers and the uh, drivers and the wants and desires of American drivers was different from the Asian market and the European market. Is there a difference like that when it comes to cameras? Do you find that there's an Asian market? There are things that are definitely hotter, U.S. market, European market. Can you identify any of those? I'm sure there is. Now, as far as me, you know, again, I'll use the phrase having my finger on the pulse of, you know, what the, uh, you, you know, all the trends are in Japan, in China, which is certainly a growing and developing market sure. in Europe and other places. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, have to say I really don't know a lot about it in, and I can't comment in detail, but I'd be silly to sit here and say, oh, worldwide, all feelings are exactly the same. <laughs> no. All customers are exactly the same. It's it, clearly they're not. Well, maybe we, maybe we can use a, an example of a camera that came out last year or, or a series that's continuing, which is the M series, 
which from my understanding seems to be you know, very successful in Japan. Uh, throughout Asia, I don't know, but in Japan I've heard that it is a very successful series and maybe not so much here in the States. Is that, uh, is that accurate? That's a great, that's a, that's a great point. And basically that has been true. Mm-hmm. Uh, EOS M series uh, for quite some time has done well in Japan. I don't have sales numbers in front of me, but right. they've done pretty well. Uh, really, I think you could argue that until last year, maybe 2016, in the U.S., it really wasn't considered a very important part of our marketplace. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about in terms of customer demand, more in terms of how Canon wanted to address it. Right. Um, and that, I, I can't speak to the all the reasonings why that may have been. Uh, certainly, mirrorless is bigger in a general sense, in an industry sense. Mirrorless has been bigger and well-received in the Asian market than it has been in the North American market. I, you know, And of course, I'll say with that, that it's gaining traction in the, you know, continuing to gain traction in the North American market. I'm talking industry wide, not just with Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, you're right. I think that the, the the difference in perceptions with the mirrorless category points to differences in the way customers worldwide perceive today's camera offerings. Again, industry wide, not just Canon. Yeah. Well, we mentioned the the EOS, the M100. Uh, however, uh, a big announcement and the most recent announcement from what I understand or from what I have in front of me was the, the G1X Mark III, which brings up kind of the, the subject of premium point and shoots, which we did an episode on that that long ago and how, whereas your small, compact, traditional point and shoots are, are starting to find perhaps a, a difficult path forward, the, the premium point and shoots are still doing pretty well. And of and course, getting the, better. of course, the G series is a great series that uh, I myself and, and many people have grown to love. So, how's that doing, and, and what's the response you've had on that camera? Response to the G1X Mark III, uh, the newest camera, uh, which was just introduced at the tail end of the year, uh, 2017. That is, uh, that's been extremely well received as it's starting to roll into the market. A, a, a compact. Uh, camera with a full, not a full frame, excuse me, but with an APS-C size imaging sensor. So a sensor the same size as what we'd have in an EOS 80D or a 7D Mark II or something like that. Clearly, the fixed lens camera category, as you said, has taken some hits. But the high end of that category, in terms of, you know, elegantly designed compact cameras with moderate length zoom lenses, or in some cases with competitors, even fixed focal length lenses, as well as the extended range zoom cameras from Canon and competitors, give customers an option when they don't necessarily want to get into the size and the investment to get into an interchangeable lens SLR, certainly, or even a mirrorless camera with interchangeable lenses, uh, where you're talking you know, several hundred dollars or more uh, for your lenses, for each of your lenses, and a camera that is even a little bigger than, say, a G series, a G series camera would would be now. Yeah. And some people simply want just a pocket camera as a second camera that they can just you know bring to a party or something like that. Right. And even if they're serious enthusiasts or working professionals, the idea of bringing you know a, a 5D Mark IV or something like that. Uh, to a party might just seem like a bit much to be toting around. That was actually going to be a next question of mine. If a camera like the the G1X Mark II or Mark III in this case is uh, is still a second camera option for a, a professional shooter or an enthusiast who who has a DSLR, 
It seems to me that perhaps not. Perhaps their second camera might be a much smaller camera or, or of course, even their cell phone. And I, I didn't know if that was a part of the marketing strategy with the G1X Mark III to, to, to market it as a second camera for, uh, you know, for an experienced photographer or not. That's certainly part of the market that Canon's aiming for with this camera, not ex- not the exclusive market, of course. Right. Uh, but that's part of the market that we're aiming for. The, the photographer who wants some degree of compactness, uh, but still wants the the promise of good image quality that a larger APS-C size sensor delivers. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, that wants the ability to control the camera. Uh, it's, that's not to say that, you know, your phone or that the, the pocket type cameras, uh, don't offer exposure controls and that kind of thing. But the experience working with a G1X Mark III is more akin to working with what, you know, you and I would consider a traditional digital SLR. Without having to deal with the lenses and and, features and and that kind of thing. I'm not saying it's identical, but it's, it's more akin to that. If I was was just an enthusiast, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to finish up. I was just saying I, I think that you know our hope is that uh, many serious enthusiasts and working pros, when they don't want to bring uh, you know the full battle gear, will consider that this still lets them work in a way they're comfortable working, controlling things when they want to control them, and be able to get you know certainly superior image quality what, to what they can normally expect from a phone. As somebody who's worked professionally, um, I, I know that on my day off, I don't feel like carrying around a monster uh, big camera with me, uh, the weight and the heft and everything else. And I would normally be looking at a uh, an APS-C DSLR, one of the smaller compacts. Now I'd be looking at uh, a camera like one of the G-series cameras because they really do take very, very good pictures. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that... Uh, the high end of the point and shoot market is clearly something that, you know, with our G series cameras and they're a series, they're not just, you know, one camera, uh, that, you know, we, we know it's a, a, a shrinking market worldwide, but we still want to be the leader in that market. And the high end of that market is still where a lot of the action is. Well, speaking of, uh, well, of power shot and, and compact cameras, there was only one, small traditional classic point and shoot camera released by Canon last year and that was the SX730HS and mm-hmm. it, it's pretty fair to say that that is part of uh, you know the trend that we all recognize which I, I won't go so far as to say the death of the point and shoot but uh, but we're getting down there I mean you, you normally you're going to see what seven to ten of those cameras uh, being released in a year? It must and, and be a relief one. not having to memorize the specs of eighteen <laughs> different point and shoots that are very very similar. It's got to be a relief for you guys. It really does. Well, it's, uh, you know, more to, maybe uh, maybe to the point. It's uh, it certainly had to have been a challenge for our engineers to you know continue to develop new product with new features, new performance, new things customers would want in so many different, if you will, suits of clothes yeah. uh, as it was back, you know, five, seven, eight years ago when the the compact, non-interchangeable lens camera category had so many different players, not just companies, but within each company. You had the little compact digital elf type cameras. You had the, uh, the more traditional, less expensive A-series cameras that were, you know, kind of aimed at a beginner. Uh, you had your, uh, you know, your extended range zoom cameras. You had your G-series cameras. And there were multiple entries in each of those. So, 
uh, yeah, I agree in terms of having to just uh, remember what's in the lineup and all the features <laughs> and everything. Certainly, it's a little easier for us nowadays. Um, you know, still, we, it's, you know, we miss the days of, you know, a, a, such a vibrant market. But, you know, customers are going to decide and dictate what they want. And, uh, you know, companies, whether it's a camera company or any, any other manufacturer, you need to respond to that. You mentioned this, the SX730HS camera that we came out with uh, toward the beginning of 2017 as really about the only kind of casual power shot category camera that we introduced that year. Uh, but again, you're talking a camera, it's, it's a compact camera, but with super zoom capability, you're talking a camera that has a, the equivalent in terms of coverage of a 24 to 960 millimeter lens. It's a 40 times zoom lens. So for, you know, again, it meets a certain need. Uh, there are people who are, you know, members at, you know, whether it's the Bronx zoo or, you know, biological parks or whatever, or people that just travel a lot and would love the ability to be able to zoom in on distant subjects and get tight telephoto type shots, but that certainly don't want to invest in a mid range or high end digital SLR and a 500 millimeter lens to be carrying with them on vacation. So again, uh, they, they, this category still meets the needs of certain of our customers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's jump over to, uh, the rebel SL two. Uh, and well, there's also the, the, the six D Mark two and the six D of course is a very popular line. And the Mark II got a lot of great uh, reviews when it came out. Uh, the, and the Rebel SL2 obviously is a very small uh, DSLR. How are they doing, and and what's the response been? I guess well, if they if they decided to put an SL2 out, uh, what can you say about those cameras? Well, the Rebel category has been such an important point of entry uh, for Canon customers, mm -hmm. uh, and it it. Re the, the entire category of the Rebels remains just vitally important for us uh, in terms of bringing people into the Canon line, uh, into the Canon EOS line, I should say, and then basically keeping them there. Uh, and customers are increasingly looking for small size. There's no question, as we talked about earlier, that you know the mirrorless category has been moving forward and onward and forward. And with the Rebel SL1 and now the SL2, we've got the most compact Rebel design uh, by a noticeable margin. And something that for that person who's looking for that kind of compactness may fit the bill. Uh, it's, it's a camera that clearly targets the, the casual user, not so much the serious enthusiast, but rewards them with the interchangeable lens experience with the experience of an optical viewfinder, which has, you know, obviously some advantages compared to the electronic viewfinders on mirrorless cameras, and uh, really uh, gets them into a into a camera that meets their demands, meets their needs in terms of that ultra compactness, even more so than a camera like a T six I, T seven I, something like that. I've used these cameras, and I, I've you pick them up and and you say to yourself that well they're kind of toy like but then you start using them and you realize what's in these cameras you're talking a 24 million pixel camera with an APS-C size sensor uh that has a lot of interesting capabilities i'm not saying it's like a 5d mark IV. no but, but you have a lot of technology that you could take it off the, uh, the the dummy modes and actually use it as a real camera and control what's happening and as it have control over what the ultimate picture is going to be the end result 
and lenses you could put whatever you want in there as far as Canon lenses. You got all that stuff at your, uh, you know, at your hand. Do you see Absolutely. people? Do you see Rebel users buy the next set of lenses to use with the Rebel, or do they kind of at that point say, "All right, you know what? If I'm going to be buying a uh, a two thousand dollar lens, I better buy a uh, the next step up camera." The first place. It- that we seem to see upward movement in our customers who invest in a rebel to get started is in lenses. Now, does the average rebel user go out and buy a lens like a 70 to 200 two eight? It's roughly a $2,000 lens. Yeah, probably not. But that's the first place that many of our customers choose to broaden their horizons in their photography. And then, you know, those that get hooked, you know, then they've got, we've got that step up trail. They can, you know, they can step into an 80D. They can step into a, a 7D if they want the performance. Yeah. They can step into a 6D Mark II if they want the image quality of a full frame sensor. And the 6D Mark II, we, we, you know, we all know what a great camera that is and, uh, you know, the general users. But are they getting squeezed, you know, to people that want to, you know, go to the 5D or, or even up from there? Or is 6D still holding its own? The 6D from its inception with the original 6D model, and of mm-hmm. course we came out with a 6D Mark II, a successor model, in uh, mid-2017. Right. The 6D has always represented the image quality value in our system. Yeah. Uh, the customer who is you know, sh- into shooting things like landscapes or close-ups and macro and so on, who's not so much interested in how many frames per second can I shoot, uh, but is is clearly interested in getting the most out of their photography in terms of detail and color and so on. 6D has always been a very, very great value point for them. And 6D Mark II just underscores that. Uh, the 26 million pixel sensor, it's a full frame sensor, of course, uh, it really gives them great imaging potential in a compact and relatively affordable camera. I don't mm. want to say that a $1,700 camera is cheap. Um, you know, it's not like a quarter tip to most of us, mm-hmm. but this is a camera that's within the reach of many enthusiasts. And it's, it, it remains therefore a very important part of our lineup to give that rebel customer, that ADD class customer, another place that they can step up to if the kind of performance that they really prioritize is image quality. Gotcha. All right, so the tilt shift lenses that came out. Yeah, you you guys own own the market pretty much for tilt shift. You've got uh, you've you've had a beautiful series of lenses uh, available for years, and this past year you updated most all of them, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, we've got five lenses, tilt shift lenses, in the system now. Okay. The oh, the ultra wide 17 millimeter and the wide angle 24 millimeter, which is in its second generation. Right. Those were. Those were introduced a few years ago, but in this calendar, I shouldn't say this calendar year, but in 2017, what we did was we revamped the longer lenses. The 50 millimeter, the old 45 millimeter lens now is being replaced by the 50 millimeter tilt shift lens. The 90 millimeter F 2.8 is being replaced by a totally newly designed lens. And then we pushed the envelope further with our longest tilt-shift lens to date, a 135 millimeter f4 tilt-shift lens, which 
really is just an outstanding problem solver for portrait photography, certain types of product photography, and so on, where you want a telephoto perspective, but you still want that ability to be able to control the angle of tilt, the angle of sharpness, uh, and if you need to, to be able to shift to control perspective as well. Yeah, I know that, that when the 135 was announced, I actually I haven't had a chance to handle it yet, but I have a few ideas what I'd like to do with it. And I've used the tilt shifts in wide angle and normal uh, many times over the years. And the 135 I find pretty exciting. Um, I'm just curious. Obviously, you're always trying to improve uh, optics. Uh, there's always something new you can do. How you've in, since the original lenses came out, original tilt shifts, and and many of your lenses the resolving power of the imaging sensors in your cameras has dramatically improved. Is that one of the driving factors for tweaking these lenses even further? Absolutely. Uh, the lens development group uh, within Canon in Japan uh, certainly for a long time has known that as the digital SLR moves forward, that higher resolution sensors were going to be part of the deal and that digital in general and in particular high resolution digital place incredible optical demands on the lens in terms of what customers expect what they're going to look for just simply magnifying on screen 100 percent and so on so the fact that we're seeing not only in these new tilt shift lenses uh, but in terms of over the really over the last decade, uh, in our high-end lens series, we've seen so many new versions. Lenses like the 24 to 70 f 2.8, certainly the 70 to 200 f 2.8, uh, and others. Uh, we've and, seen and a lot of faster lenses too. Your maximum apertures on many of your lenses have also been improved to wider apertures. Yeah, in many cases that's true. Uh, but you got those two things going on. But I think in particular, to your first point, uh, absolutely, uh, some of the driving force in the improved optical performance we're seeing is the understanding that these lenses are going to be used on high-resolution cameras and that we're in an era where a tw an entry-level digital SLR is a 24-million-pixel camera. It doesn't seem to me that long ago that a 6 million pixel digital SLR seemed like, you, you know, something that the professionals were stretching to try to get. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, now the industry has reached a point where, not just with Canon, but across the board, that, you know, a 20 or 24 million pixel camera is an entry-level camera. So that, you know, again, puts increasing demands on the optics. So, yeah, that, that has definitely driven our optical team forward, and we're seeing some nice results. The tilt-shift lens is simply being the latest cherry on top of the Sunday. For the, for the longest time, it, there, there were like, what, five or six optical formulas that made up the entire lens world, maybe, maybe more than that. But it, there, there were a lot of very basic formulas that went back sometimes 100 years that were just being slightly tweaked and incorporated into the lenses that we're using. Um, I'm, I would imagine that computer design uh, is taking over a lot of these advances. Is that a good assumption? Absolutely. It's, that's the, very, very clearly that's the case. Uh, th that doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, human brain power making a lot of the decisions. Uh, but the computers have really opened the treasure chest in terms of what is technically possible. Certainly the industry has been using computers to help design lenses for a long time. This isn't something new, but they've, again, speaking for Canon, 
I know that our lens development team has really, you know, revved up their engines in terms of, you know, getting the most out of technology. And you're absolutely right. The, the, the old classic formulas that we used to see in many of the European and early Japanese lenses from the you know, first half and uh, into the middle of the 20th century, some of them are still with us oh, yeah. uh, in terms of you know, these, those optical formulas. And they're, they're proven and they work well in some cases. But there's no question that they've really opened up, like I said, a treasure chest of, you know, new ideas, new designs, and so on. And they keep pushing forward, and it's a great thing. Are, are polymers replacing glass anytime soon? I know it's still a big deal, the quality of the glass. It has a lot to do with it. But I know that uh, polymers and plastics are starting to make their way into especially the lower-end cameras. And with some good results, is, is, do you see a point where uh, it's going to be more polymer than actual optical glass? I don't know if we're going to get to that point anytime in the kind of near term. Uh, the, the beauty of the polymers, it isn't just a cost thing. I think a lot of customers, they hear, oh, polymers, they think plastic. They think of the kind of cheap styrene plastic that they, you know, made model airplanes with when they were kids or whatever. Well, that, that plastics um, could be, could be uh, put into shapes and forms that, you, that aren't easy to do in glass. That's my understanding. That's, exact, that's the point. It's, it isn't just a matter of, well, we can make them cheap. It's a matter of you can do extremely complex aspherical designs, which truly right. can enhance the mm -hmm. image quality as well as keep size and weight down and so on uh, using different types of optical polymers compared to traditional optical glass. So I, I'm sure that we will see more of it. Will we get to a point where... Uh, uh, even a, a lower-end consumer lens on a digital SLR or a mirrorless camera is almost exclusively polycarbonate or polymer-type optics. You know, each element is a, quote, plastic, end quote, element. I don't know if we're going to get there anytime soon, um, but there's no question that we're going to keep pushing the envelope in terms of doing what our engineers can to make the lenses perform even better without cost, size, and weight penalties for the customers. And these type of you know, polymers in that loose uh, category, if you will, certainly are one of the ways that they can get there. Now, based on this conversation we're having here, are there any uh, lenses uh, that are due for an update uh, to bring them to the standards uh, that will match the sensors and, and you know, obviously ma maintain the quality? that you can think of? I mean, you had the, a new 85 millimeter that came out last year, uh, late in the summer, an F1.4 L-series. Uh, off the top of your head, can you think of any other ones that maybe, and I know you can't predict this, but maybe coming out soon? Well, it's absolutely true. I can't predict this. And likewise, it's absolutely true that I have, as I, as I said before, I have no idea what they're working on or what they are contemplating working on kind of in the midterm future. So this absolutely can't be, you know, perceived as, oh, the Canon guy says they're going to come out with blank because I don't know. Now, that said, you know, as I look at our lineup, we've got more than 70 lenses in the Canon EF and EFS lens lineup. And obviously, some have been around for a while. And now when you take some of these older lenses, they, they're still credible performers. Mm -hmm, of course, yeah. But, you know, you, you take them and put them on a camera like, a you know, even the 5D Mark IV at 30 million pixels and start looking real close. I mean, you can see in some cases, you know, certain optical imperfections that, you know, with a thoroughly modern design hopefully would be mitigated. I can think of lenses like the, you know, certainly the 50 millimeter 1.4. 
is a lens that's been in our lineup for a long time. Uh, I can't remember the exact date of introduction, but it's somewhere in the 1990s, I think in the early 90s. And to my knowledge, really hasn't been changed since then. That's a lens that, you know, I'm sure a lot of customers would like to see a new version of. Now, again, I'm not saying it's gonna we happen. will or we won't. I don't yeah, know. Of course, yeah. Um, even a brilliant lens like the 135 F2, which is a sensational lens. Oh, yeah. Optically, even by today's standards, I know a lot of our customers would love to see that lens in an image-stabilized version that preserved the same or possibly, if they could do it, even improve the optical quality a little bit. Uh, I know that's a lens that would be you know, extremely well-received. Uh, a lens like the 85 1.8, uh, which has always been a favorite of mine. It's a dandy little lens. But and and no not question. expensive either. Exactly. It's it's a it's a very affordable yeah. lens. That 85 1.8 is roughly uh you know about a uh, about a $400 lens, maybe even a little less at B&H. And certainly within the reach of, you know, many photographers who are making that step up in their photography. It's a good lens even by today's standards. But again, having said that, it's a lens that's been with us since the mid 1990s as I recall. And certainly there are places where you could, you could think that a new lens would bring some optical improvements to it. Uh, so, you know, that's a lens. And, you know, there, there are others. I was privileged to have a discussion a number of years back with an engineer, one of the lead engineers in the lens development group. And he pointed out that because of you don't just design a lens in a month. You don't just get the idea, oh, we need a new 51.4 and then, you know, a couple of months later it's ready. Uh, it's a, it's a process that takes a couple of years or more in some cases from the start of the concept to actual execution of a finished production product. And the point he made was we have a finite number of lenses that we can, for the EF EFS series that we can design a year in a typical year, uh, because they do have other, uh, they do have other work demands placed on them we have optics in our copiers we have optics in our medical devices canon certainly is a more than just a camera company so the optical engineers have a lot of other things on their plate besides eos camera lenses but that said he's you know he said we can do you know a finite number of new lens designs a year and he said here's the challenge for us as optical engineers do we use the time and the resources to come up with totally new innovative designs like the 11 to 24 millimeter lens that we saw a few years ago uh like the 135 millimeter tilt shift lenses that you know we the industry hasn't seen let alone that canon hasn't had or do we use that time to refresh older lenses that are getting a little long in the tooth and that we know that there are cu there's customer demand to see a new version. Obviously they, you know, they try to strike a balance between the two, but he said it's in, in planning your products. It's a challenge. All right. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back with more with Rudy Winston and details about the cameras we're giving away. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. Okay, we are back with Rudy Winston of Canon. And now let's start talking about the cameras we're going to be giving away. For starters, we have two cameras. We have a Canon 5D Mark IV with a 50mm 1.8 STM lens 
and we're giving away a Canon EOS 80D with a 50mm f1.8 STM lens. Uh, and we're going to give you the details at the end of this show about how you can qualify. The 5D being the first prize. The 5D, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, yes. Um, anyway, but let's talk about the cameras. Uh, Rudy, the, the Canon EOS 5D Mark IV. Tell us about this lovely beast. 5D Mark IV really is like the culmination for many photographers of a, a classically designed, high-end, professional, and very serious enthusiast, enthusiast targeted camera. You're talking a full-frame camera with 30 million pixels that can shoot seven frames a second. It's got the same focusing six, uh, sensor with 61 focusing points as an EOS 1DX Mark II. Uh, so it's got a very powerful focusing system. It's got tremendous video capabilities, including 4K video recording capability in the camera. With 8.8 megapixels, still grabs. They, there you go. I'm glad, you, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It is, it really, for I think a lot of customers, is the culmination in the current Canon line of where they ultimately would like to be. It meets the needs of so many different types of users. It's got the, the image quality, the resolution, the detail to be an excellent camera for things like landscapes. It's a tremendous nature and wildlife camera. It's a tremendous camera even for things like sports. If you, you know, at seven frames a second, there's, um, there are people out there say, oh, well, it's only seven frames a second. Uh, <laughs> there was a time when the highest end professional cameras you saw on the sidelines at the Super Bowl could not shoot seven frames a second. So it's a, it's a very, very flexible, capable camera with really good image quality, not only in bright daylight, but when you start cranking the ISOs up, very good high ISO performance. Uh, it really, really is that sweet spot for so many of our customers that truly want to step up to a, a camera that they can use for almost anything. Mm. I, I see it's the Digic 6 Plus image processor. Can you uh, mention any diff distinctions between the 6 Plus and the 6? Going from the Digic 6 to the 6 Plus processing engine gave this camera more capability. And where we see that in cameras is in a not just a, these several different areas, but these are a few of the important ones. Number one, it can process larger files more quickly and move them more quickly. High resolution and speed have been historically in digital SLRs two things that didn't play nice together in the same sandbox. We could have high-resolution cameras from the early days of digital SLRs, but they'd be fairly slow in terms of how fast they could shoot. And conversely, we could have high-end, sports-oriented cameras that could shoot at rapid frames per second rates, but they didn't have high pixel resolution. There's no perfect answer, but the bottom line is that the processor can can basically take more and more information, bigger files, and move them more quickly. So that's one area. It opened up tremendous video capabilities for us for similar reasons. And in terms of just image quality, that's another area where the processor does play an important role. And the more steps in processing that the processor can make and do quickly, the more refined the image quality can be. And that's one of the reasons why for more than a decade, we have made our own processors. The Digic processors are designed entirely by Canon from the ground up. Uh, they never were just off-the-shelf processors that they kind of tuned with software to handle the demands of a camera. 
And so, again, they, they understood that role of the processor early on in the history of digital cameras. And they've maintained that to this day. Now, the, the Mark IV has a, uh, a dual card slot for uh, compact flash and SD. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Let me ask, what about the compact flash? Is that something we're going to be uh, holding on to for the next couple of years? Or what do you think? I think clearly, again, the product planners have the last word on this, and they haven't been discussing where they're going. Mm -hmm. Just reading the tea leaves, it seems like other card types and, if you will, formats are going to eventually succeed Compact Flash, that we may have kind of reached the end of the development road with the Compact Flash standard. I'm not talking about Canon now. Right. I'm talking about the card industry. And I'm talking a little out of turn here because obviously I don't work in the card industry. I am not an expert on memory card technology. So I stand to be corrected on any of this. Um, but clearly we've gotten a lot of mileage out of the Compact Flash standard. Uh, it's been a robust, durable performer in general for us i'm talking about compact flash cards in general we know that you know there are faster card types now uh like cfast and and so on um but they've performed very well and the other thing is that so many of our advanced enthusiasts and professional customers have large quantities of these cards that they've invested in over the years back in the day they paid a lot of money for some of those cards they've That's come right. down in price they, they, <laughs> exactly Exactly. So we certainly understand that there's, you know, excuse me, as we as we look forward that, you know, we're probably going to see reliance on different types of cards as well. One thing I want to say, though, Canon has always as a fundamental design philosophy, they have always felt that memory cards that Canon uses should be an open standard that we're not going to a card that basically one manufacturer makes or something like that, even if it promised uh, you know, performance unseen anywhere else. Canon's philosophy has always been to go for memory cards that the customer will have a choice of brands, makes, models you know in terms of you know obviously we have high-end cards and some cards that are priced more like you know uh you know com uh, consumer level cards and so on and th that both sd and compact flash have met those philosophical feelings that canon's engineers have had for a long time well a question that came up for me I, 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 it's 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 easy to see that native isos have gone up dramatically uh incredibly to the point where you could take a picture in pitch blackness and get a picture handheld that's sharp. Um, now, the common sense is that the lower the ISO, the finer the grain, the better the image quality. But you don't see anybody coming out with something. It, it seems like ISO 100 is the standard starting point. And some cameras you could expand down to 50, but you don't see anyone going say you know you could now shoot at iso 5 for ridiculously sharper resolution is there a point where there's like no return on light sensitivity and iso ratings for fineness as opposed to speed that's an interesting question the the type of customers who have come to us and have said that we would like that option not just simply to be able to expand iso iso downward from 100 to 50 but have said I'd like a camera that the native ISO was, you know, I'm just throwing a number out, 25. Kodachrome. Uh, or even lower. We have heard that 
from some of our very, very high-end customers, the type of customer who would be interested in a camera like uh, the current EOS 5DS or 5DSR, our 50 million pixel high-resolution cameras, the type of customer who's not so much interested in speed uh, but is looking for as much overall image quality as they can get. And obviously, yeah. pixel count is one thing. We've heard that request from those types of customers, and we've relayed that to our engineers. Uh, it's, I'm sure the perception is that it's a small group of customers that feel they would truly benefit from that. Uh, and it's obviously easier to sell the promise of high ISO than it is to sell the promise of, oh, you can shoot down to ISO 12 or 6 or whatever. But the point's a good one. And certainly... In a perfect world, if I could just, you know, wave a magic wand and have a cannon line up with uh, everything to meet everybody's needs, I would love to see a 5DS caliber camera that could go down to ISO like 25 or below as just the base lowest ISO. That'd be a cool thing for some of our customers. So press for it. I'll back you up on it. That's two there of us that want it right there. So the the, uh, the Mark IV... The Mark IV came out in late August, well, it was announced in August 2016. Uh, obviously, the Mark III was a legendary camera, is a legendary camera, with a lot of anticipation for the Mark IV, and it seems that you know the anticipation has been met. Everyone is very satisfied, and sales are through the roof, fair to say? Uh, <laughs> I don't mean this is a wise guy remark. Folks <laughs> probably have a better idea than me. Right, but... Um, it's it, seriously we we know that it's been a very powerful player in our lineup and in the industry in general right. in the high end digital SLR category. It's you know one of the flag bearers uh, of the entire industry in that category. I'm not saying that uh, you know other competitive companies don't have similar type of you know very well received high end cameras, but mm-hmm. uh, 5D Mark IV is such a versatile camera, as I said before, and really you know so many working pros. This is their everyday camera of choice, mm-hmm. as well as serious enthusiasts. Uh, it, it really just uh, checks an awful lot of boxes for an awful lot of users. And I think certainly that, uh, you know, not to push the discussion forward, but I think certainly um, whoever the lucky B&H listener is who ends up winning it, I'm sure they're going to be delighted with what comes in the box. Oh, I will be very delighted when I win it. <laughs> oh, you sit, no, you get the ADD. I get no. That's not what we agreed on. Uh, so, how about the? We're, AD- not, we're not on the air, are we? <laughs> Let's talk about the ADD then, real quick. Um, yeah, your camera, right? <laughs> um, came out in February. Announced in February of 2016. So it's pushing two years old. Uh, but who cares? It's a great it camera, great APS-C camera, 24 megapixels. Uh, Digic six image processor. So we're we're talking Seven about a great frames a second, right? I mean, the specs are incredible. What the ADD, and it's it, it is the only the current model in a long legacy of very very strong mid range cameras for us, starting with the 10D uh, back. You know, I'd have to look to see when back. You know, certainly in the early two thousands, um, but. A very, very important category for us in general, and certainly with the ADD today, a, a tremendous, tremendous step-up option for the customer who is either contemplating a first digital SLR and maybe is thinking a Rebel or something like that, or conversely, 
uh, certainly people who have been there, the, the rebel customers. And you think of how many thousands of rebels have been sold over the years. Now, obviously, not every current rebel owner is a serious photo enthusiast. Uh, but, you know, for those that have that itch and want to scratch it, uh, stepping into an ADD is a fantastic way without getting into a, a ton of money to get a camera that's going to offer you not just performance and features, but the key thing people ask me all the time, what's the difference between a rebel and a camera like the ADD? And if I have to sum it up in one word, it's control. The ADD caliber camera, the ADD class camera gives you the quick control dial on the back, which changes the shooting experience for the user who kind of wants to get into working the camera. It certainly has more in the way of, you know, menu settings and custom functions and, and so on. It's got a more robust focusing system. It shoots faster than the Rebel category cameras. But if, like I say, I start with that word control. If you compare it to what lies beneath it in the Canon lineup and to a large extent in the industry, uh, you know, you get up into the ADD category, you're talking a camera that is going to be a very, very easy camera to grow with. It's going to be very easy to be to get tight control of your exposures, your metering. It's got a great focusing system. Uh, the focusing one of the things I like about the APS-C cameras, like the ADD and even the 7D Mark II, which sits above it, is that because the sensor is smaller, the imaging sensor. The focusing points, for technical reasons, can cover more of the picture area, so it's a lot easier to focus way off center with those cameras. That's a good point. Yeah. So nobody ever has to apologize to me for using a camera like a, an ADD or its predecessor to the 70D, and so on. Uh, these are cameras that give tremendous performance. Uh, maybe I should say tremendous performance value. It'll shoot seven frames a second. Uh, it, it, again, it has a very good focusing system for focusing on moving subjects. It's, it's a camera that I think, uh, you know, many, many of our customers either look towards being able to step up to, or are going to be very happy if they're already there. I think it would be fair to say that if you were to use a Canon 5D Mark IV, uh, ADD or whatever rebel you might have in your hand, you're not going to be taking a bad photograph. And if you do, it's not the camera. I think it's, it's fair to say. Boy, oh boy. It's, you know, we can say that. I think <laughs> I can, I can expand that and just say across the industry. <laughs> with today's yeah. cameras. Yeah. Certainly today's interchangeable lens cameras. And you can extend this to the fixed lens point and shoots. The technology that we see in today's cameras, we live in an absolute golden age of photography the things that we can do with ordinary cameras with as you pointed out with a camera like a rebel the things that we can do the images we can take the tools that we have available to us in the computer the so-called digital darkroom i think back to my roots in the film era and this was the stuff of dreams oh yeah you just you just you didn't even think of this kind of stuff um, you know, this, the this ability is fantasy to take, land compared to 20 years ago, it really is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, just the, the ability to, to do something as nowadays simple as take a well-exposed picture in indoors without flash at an ISO like 3200 that you can actually print at 16 by 20 and have it look presentable. The, the thought of doing that back when we were shooting slide film was just, you couldn't do it. Oh yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yep. 
All right. Rudy, it has been, as always, a pleasure chatting with you uh, in general and about Canon cameras uh, and lenses uh, uh, in particular. And uh, we look forward to having you join us in the future when Canon comes out with even more great toys. Gentlemen, as I say all the time, the pleasure is mine. It's a it's a joy to talk to B&H's customers. Uh, I'm honored to be able to work with the B&H team uh, and to be able to represent Canon in this way. And certainly I look forward to the next time we can get together as well. Thanks, Rudy. Excellent. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, so we've been talking about this giveaway for weeks. Here's what you got to do. It's real easy. If you are a subscriber, you are halfway there. If you're not a subscriber to our podcast, here's what you have to do. Go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps and subscribe. It is free. It is painless. And you're guaranteed not to miss a single one of our shows. Once you do that, once you are a subscriber, you could enter not once but twice, once on Twitter and once on Facebook. To enter on Twitter, tweet us a screenshot showing that you're a subscriber to the podcast with the hashtag BHPhotoPodcast. To enter on Facebook, go to the BH Photo Facebook page and post a comment on the Sweepstakes announcement post with your favorite BH Photography Podcast episode for another chance to win. So that's two chances to win two cameras. And again, the two cameras are the grand prize, a Canon EOS 5D Mark IV with a 50 millimeter EF F18 STM lens. Second prize, and not that second is shabby, is a Canon EOS 80D with a Canon EF 50mm f1.8 STM lens. All right, now, the entry period is going to be from Thursday, January 11th, 2018, through Sunday, January 28th, 2018. That's January 11th through January 28th, 2018. We're going to have two winners, and they're going to be picked at random from all of the received entries and announced right here on Thursday, February 1st, 2018. To find out all the information in print, you can do so by just going to our sweepstakes landing page, for which there is a link in the show notes. It's all there if you missed any of this. Two great cameras, two neat 50s to go along with them, and they could be yours, and you have two chances. Again, subscribe, go to Twitter, go to Facebook, and why are you still listening to me? Go do it now. These cameras can be yours. And remember, even if you don't win any of these cameras, you still get to listen to the best photo podcast on the planet. So, as always, on behalf of Jason, John, and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs>